ask Sunita if uh, you can, if you're not already unmuted, if you can unmute yourself and take the first reading. And then John will finish the reading for us. Acts chapter 4, verse 1 to 22. The priest and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with this man? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after and further threats, oh, sorry, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had designed beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Thanks ever so much to both of you uh, for uh, reading that. Let's just spend a few moments 
just reflecting on that story and particularly in the light of that common experience where we feel intimidated what was going on well it began like this the guy by the temple gate had been healed and uh, peter and john were trying to explain to the people who were amazed by this healing what had happened and uh, they kept pointing the fact that actually it's not us we didn't do this it's jesus jesus is still alive because he rose from the dead and uh, this chapter begins the priests and the temple of the temple uh, the captain of the temple guard and the sadducees came up to peter and john while they were speaking to the people they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in jesus the resurrection of the dead it's kind of interesting that these three groups the priests the captain of the temple guard and the sadducees they are the establishment um some of you will know this but just to remind you that the priests and the temple the temple that had been rebuilt and that now was at the heart of the uh, the lives of the people of god was so significant for the jewish uh, people and for their sense of identity and if they lost that in any way they wouldn't have been able to sort of conceive of how would we live our life before God it's where the, it's where the sacrifice happens it's where God is so it's really important that we retain the temple this is going to be a theme that's going to come back to us throughout these early uh, chapters of Acts and then the Sadducees and the Sadducees were a group of uh, Jewish leaders who really had made peace with the wider establishment. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They were on the whole quite wealthy. They were powerful and they'd made peace with the political and civil authorities. And they came up and they said, we're not happy. Now in one sense, you want to ask yourself, what, what's Peter and John done wrong? They've just healed someone. And in a sense, I think if Peter and John had just healed the man, then no one would have batted an eye. I mean, they would have been amazed and they would have been really, wow, this is something. But they wouldn't have been greatly disturbed because actually, on the whole, no one minds if you're just being kind. But what the disciples were doing, what the apostles were doing, was saying, no, this, this healing has happened because of this, the resurrection of Jesus. And that was the challenge this is what they said if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed then know this you and all the people of israel it's by the name of jesus christ of nazareth whom you crucified but whom god raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone you see, the resurrection, this announcement that Jesus has risen from the dead and is alive, was deeply challenging to the establishment, partly because they didn't believe it. Sadducees just didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. It was kind of like once you were dead, you were dead. And if it was true that resurrection happened and happens, then everything that their power was resting on would prove to be hollow. You see, the Sadducees were part of that plot against Jesus by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. Well, 
if God's raised him from the dead, their power, well, it wasn't up to much, was it? It didn't matter that much. And these two men said two things. Number one, we're not intimidated by you because you can't heal the broken, but Jesus can. And secondly, we're not intimidated by you because we believe that Jesus is the cornerstone, is the foundation of a whole new society. We're not afraid. They kept on saying, and I, you know, you can do this later if you want, but just go through the passage again and see an echo of that comes through. They keep saying, it's, but please understand, this is not our power. This is not something we have done. You see, the judges and the Sadducees, the temple guard, the priests, they've played the game all their lives. They're the ones that finished their education. They're the ones that belong to the right families. They're the ones that believe the right things about life. They're the ones who can work in the system. They were the religious and the social elite. And Peter and John, they'd just been with Jesus. And they kept coming back and saying, it's not us. It's not our ability. Please understand that. It's in the name of Jesus. And it's in there, verse 10, 12, 17, 18, and 30. It keeps on. It's an echo throughout the whole of the chapter. How does this happen? It's in the name of Jesus. That in the name, um, some of you might, sort of, you, all of us will have come across it. Sometimes it's the way we end prayers, isn't it? And we ask this in the name of Jesus. And it's kind of like, at its worst, it's sort of like just a, a bit of a, a cliche, a way of sort of finishing off a prayer. But actually, it's more than that. To say in the name of Jesus means that what you're saying is, I'm standing in his shoes. I'm saying it in his authority. I'm kind of like in his slipstream. It's like being an ambassador to a country. It's like I'm speaking for the king or the president, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. And in verse 12, these men, Peter and John, stood there and the Sadducees, the struggle they had was these two men were not intimidated. They were, to their minds, uneducated. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's no joke, this. Um, the Sadducees would have looked at Peter and John and gone, these are just thick northerners, literally. They come from the north. They speak with a northern accent. They're not intelligent. They've not been to the University of Jerusalem. They're fishermen, for heaven's sake. They're uneducated, but they're unafraid. And Luke says, the Sadducees recognized, these men have been with Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Is that kind of like wow moment where Peter and John stand there and you can only imagine them. I try and see all these judges and all these temple guard and the priests and the Sadducees and they're wearing their clothes of office, their robes. Peter and John are standing there in their everyday work, uh, workaday clothes. We're not intimidated by you. We've been with Jesus. Gave them immense courage. Gave them a sense of, we know who we are. We know whose we are. 
we know who we belong to. It's why when today we kind of think, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple? I keep on saying a disciple is someone learning the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. And to do that, you need to spend time with Jesus. You need to spend time reading the Gospels. You need to spend time getting to know him. You need to spend time being open to the spirit who will guide you. You need to spend time because otherwise you'll always be intimidated by other people. You'll always think people are better than you. You'll always feel I'm not good enough here. You'll always feel I've not got something to share. You'll always feel I don't think this is my place. That film we saw before I started preaching about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God that comes and breathes on everyone young, old, slave, free, male, female, that gives gifts, that makes people have a sense of the life of God fills me, is, is the difference where you stand and you say, I do not need to be intimidated by this situation. Now, it's not that you're going to walk in sort of blasé to situations. It's not that when you have to do your presentations at work, it's not like, <gasps> take a deep breath. It's not like when you speak to those in, uh, that are higher in authority than you at work, you don't have to go, I need to, I need to get this right. I don't want to look foolish. I, I, I need to know how to speak to them. It's not that when you start praying, that somehow there's not some part of you that goes, I hope I don't make a fool of myself. Let me tell you, those feelings are common to all of us. But what? trumps those feelings what gets past those feelings i belong to jesus and i'm coming in the name of jesus what these disciples knew was that the resurrection was the coronation of a new king and it gave them corporate courage they could find confidence and courage because Without being too cheesy, I like, I mean, goodness knows how the picture was taken or indeed if it was just photoshopped in. But this idea that we might look like we're on a very, very narrow ledge here and the rest of the world looks very powerful. But we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that Christ died and rose again. We believe in the Holy Spirit who comes and fills his people. We are not afraid. And we see everything in a new light. You see, it's still the truth. That the world around us, all their best efforts, do not have the power to change lives. It's tempting to think that you, there's nothing we can do, but actually Jesus is the one who changes lives. He is the one who redeems things. He's the one that puts things back together. He's the one that brings freedom. He's the one that changes things. And we say to the world, you do not have the power to change lives, but we know one who does, and it's Jesus. And we believe that Jesus is the only foundation of something new. He's the only building block of something new. Before we began this morning, I just had a quick look through uh, the morning paper and um, gosh, reading the newspapers and watching the news, it can make you feel quite depressed, can't it? 
it feels like everything's falling apart. You look over the waters to America and the horrendous things that are going on there as people um, riot about what they see as institutional racism. And then you look closer to home and people looking ahead and, and, and not knowing, not knowing really how to deal with this situation. What, how do we respond? What is the response we make? Well, in these days, we, as followers of Jesus, say at least these things. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have a new way of seeing everything. Lots of people have said this, and I think it's true, that we don't want to go back to the old normal because the old normal wasn't working for lots of people, but we've got a new way of seeing, a way of seeing what community can look like, a way of seeing what life can look like. And what we want is to learn the way of Jesus in this new way of seeing. As things open up and as we come back into contact with people in a closer way, sort of flesh on flesh, then we want to say and we want to demonstrate we've got a new way of seeing. We want to say to people, there are, there's something about a new life. You don't need to live the old life. There is new life, new forgiveness, new sense of hope. And there's a new way to live, not only of seeing what's possible, but actually a way to live. There is a new connectedness. There is something we can offer the lost. There is something about what we can do with the lonely. There is something that we can offer those who live without hope. And it's the reality of the resurrection of Jesus I will stand and say, I know no one else might believe this, but I'm unintimidated because Jesus is the only way that lives are put together again. Jesus is the only building block for a new society. And so they were not afraid and neither should we be. But what they knew they needed to do was pray. And so they prayed and fairly long prayer, but they prayed essentially this, enable us to speak with boldness. An interesting beginning, enable us to speak with boldness, because actually that's what we're gonna need. We're gonna need to know how to say it in words that are our words that are not afraid, not mumbling, that actually we're not gonna be intimidated, that we're gonna stand and whatever we speak, as we speak the words of life, we speak with boldness. When you are in your work context, the idea of speaking and acting with a boldness, not an arrogance, but a boldness that comes because actually you're living out the life of Jesus there. And when you come to the situations of tragedy, knowing what do we say here? What do we say to those who have been bereaved? What do we say to those who are wrestling with the fear because actually they feel really fragile because of the virus situation? Lord, enable us to speak with boldness, not arrogance, not glibness, not cheesiness, but boldness. And then they pray, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs. It's interesting. The first thing is we've got to do this, enable us to speak, God, would you do that work of healing and performing miraculous signs? And you do it through us, but will you do that, God? Because we can't do that. We can speak, enable us to do that. But will you heal? Will you perform miraculous signs? And as an outcome of that prayer, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. 
it's easy in a world without faith and a world where it can look irrelevant to feel like it's just in a corner but actually what we're doing is we're coming and say because of the resurrection of Jesus because of the spirit actually we have a role to play final thing this feels like a parallel to Pentecost long speech the spirit poured out they're filled with that spirit and then they went on to share and in these chapters remarkable miracle explanation the spirit is poured out and the last part of chapter four is they shared what they had it feels like another example of Pentecost being poured out. In other words, the Pentecost that happened was the kickoff point for the church, if you will. But actually, there was more and there is more and there's more for us. Lord, will you come and grant us a new Pentecost? Will you come enable us to speak with confidence? Lord. Will you give us boldness? Lord, will you overcome our intimidation?